The Southwest WA Drought Resilience Adoption and Innovation Hub acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. It pays its respects to the elders past and present and extends that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on the lands which the Southwest Drought Hub operates. Hello, I'm Julianne Hill, Hub Adoption Manager. This podcast series on dry season responses is brought to you by the Southwest WA Drought Hub and funded through Future Drought Fund. In this series, we'll hear from growers and industry experts on managing dry season responses, ranging from early planning to tactical decision making as the season changes throughout the year and setting up for your following season. In a lot of respects, it was almost farming as normal. It was a case of, this is the time I start seeding, I'm going to put on my normal inputs, I'm going to manage it in the same way. There wasn't a lot of tactical change, you know, or decisions made within a season. The other thing that we have to remember is that all of the businesses, they were running at relatively low equity in that period. Hello everyone, my name is Shannon Beatty and as you hopefully all know by now, I am the host of the Dry Season Responses podcast series. I hope you have been enjoying the series so far. We are officially halfway through, moving into the second half of the series. In this episode, we're going to be doing a bit of a throwback of sorts and focusing on the droughts from 2006 and 2007. We're going to be talking about what we learned back then and I guess just how those learnings are applicable to today's dry season experience. Now, I wasn't working in agriculture at the time, so personally I've got no experiences of it, no recollections of it, but I know a lot of people listening will remember that drought time and have some pretty vivid recollections of that period. Two people who do also have a a pretty vivid recollection of that time are DPIRD research scientists Wayne Parker and Chad Reynolds. They're both based in Geraldton. Their families were farming in Geraldton or in the Geraldton region during that period. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. All right, let's do a little bit of an intro, starting with yourself, Chad. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? So I'm DPIRD based in soils. I originate from Northampton and spent a bit of time with wheat breeding down in Perth and then out to Lake Grace for a couple of years and then came back up to Geraldton. And how about yourself, Wayne? So I grew up in the northeast corner of Minganew on a small property there of a varied soil types. I've been working with the department in Geraldton for the last 21 years and Over that period, I've done quite a bit of work in the farming systems space. And right now, my main focus is on soils and soil improvement. That's a pretty short history of me in the department. Two soils buddies. Always good when you've got friends on the podcast. Makes it a lot easier. Let's cast our mind back to 2006 and 2007. Chad, your parents were farming in the area during that period. Do you remember what it was like for them, what it is they went through? It was pretty much due to the lack of rainfall and ground coverage and such, putting up with dust storms and seeing it every day and nothing growing pretty much without the rain. How about yourself, Wayne? Tell me about 2006 and 2007 for you and your family. What did things look like? 
it was quite a challenging time. My father didn't put a chose not to put a crop in in 2007 and I think that was one of the best things that he could have done because he didn't actually lose any money as much money I should say that year and as Chad mentioned there was a lot lot of livestock in the whole region at that time there wasn't a lot of ground cover unfortunately a lot of those soils suffered a fair bit of damage in that period through wind erosion and as Chad said I think the worst of that was that they had to see it every day. They had to live it every day. And so that really grinds you down. And so after a while, as you can imagine, they were getting, you know, quite weary, mentally weary, financially weary, and things weren't weren't great. It was a pretty challenging time. I definitely think it would be remiss of us to not, yeah, touch on that mental health aspect of what going through drought does to people, especially going through a couple of drought years in a row. So I appreciate you, Wayne, highlighting that for everyone. Chad, what did your family and other growers in the area do in 2006, you know, and then I guess do differently in 2007, knowing that they were going to be going into a a second year of drought? As Wayne said, a lot of livestock had to go, particularly cattle and sheep, but just trying to get them out was a mission in itself like the costs of transport were outweighing what they would get so unfortunately some livestock had to be put down unfortunately because there was just nothing to eat and lack of water or drinking as well so it was very tough. And how about from a cropping point of view how did rotations or just farming systems farming practices alter over that you know two-year period in a lot of respects it was almost farming as normal you know it was a case of this is the time I start seeding I'm going to put on my normal inputs I'm going to manage it in the same way there wasn't a lot of tactical change you know or decisions made within a season the other thing that we have to remember is that all of the businesses that they were running at relatively low equity in that period. So their capacity for repaying the money that they've been borrowing all comes from having to put a crop in. That's where their money is coming from. So if they're not getting a crop but still having to pay for all of the inputs and everything like that, and then they're not getting any money back. So the position that they're in is some of the decisions that were being made at that time were being driven by debt. And the fact that we've done this in the past and this is how we get out of it. And the only way they can get out of it is through putting a crop in and getting a crop off. So there were a lot of decisions made at that time about, well, the only way I'm going to service this debt is by putting a crop in. So they'd put a crop in. At the end of that that couple of year period after 06 and 07, how did people and growers in the area, I guess, recover after that time? How did their practices change after going through, you know, two years in a row of of drought? So it was a very, very much a case of this can't continue, you know, this is not normal, we can't farm as normal any longer. Quite a realisation to that. And then out of that, the department actually met with a number of growers from all of the regions in the east up here, so the growers from Yuna, 
Marlawar, Northampton, Bino, Perendry. And out of that discussion came a series of projects which were captured under what was the near series of projects, so Northeast Ag Region. And they dealt directly with how businesses, how farming systems would change, how businesses would change, and the sorts of things they needed to look at in order to adapt and survive the challenging climate. What did you see happening in in the immediate years following that time? What sort of adaptions and changes did you see? They were a lot more strategic with their applications of inputs because growers are spending all of their money up front in those inputs. It was more about how we best spend that money. It's still going to cost the same and hopefully, you know, to grow a crop, but we can minimise some of the damage, as it were, by spacing out that input cost. So changing how we apply our herbicides and how we apply our fertilisers. Yeah, so their capital investment is a lot more better in terms of their water use efficiency. So every drop of rain that has fallen, they'll use through soil improvement, amelioration, also having a number of farming business is stronger. So there's more people involved in terms of agronomists and whatnot. They've increased canola and whereas lupins have sort of dropped out a fair bit. And also there's the variety that they get to choose from in regards to what they put in wheat or whatever. There's a lot more variety that they can deal with to use whatever rainfall they do get. Some of the things that came out of the near were really about decision-making and how we make our decisions and why and making good decisions. So working with growers, we were able to isolate when that decision period is being made, when those decisions are being made, the sorts of inputs growers need to make better decisions and understand how to make a better decision and get a better outcome. So we were working with growers to help them around that period. One of the things that we was highlighted was that, you know, we don't place quite so much emphasis on what a long-season forecast might look like or, you know, what, what a long-season forecast is, is telling us, whether it's going to be dry or wet, wetter than average. Because really that we can't allow that to be the main deciding factor when making our input choices. What we need to be making our decisions around are what we know and what we currently have. We know that at a particular point we've had so much rain. We've had so much summer rain, so we're going to have access to some of that. We've had so much rain to this point. We know I have this variety. It is a good variety for a long season or a short season. We know that the seeding date is X, so we've got choices that we can make around our seeding variety and we've got choices as to, okay, I've had so much rain, it's this date. I can expect a yield potential within this range. So then we farm to that yield potential given the things that we know, okay? So we're not hoping because someone I respect said once that hope is not a strategy. So we've gone away from hoping and starting to work with what we know 
and what our likely or our probable outcomes were going to be. I really like that idea of thinking, and it's not a matter of, you know, not having any faith or any hope at all that the season is going to turn out well and thinking that everything's going to be terrible all the time, because that's definitely not the case. But just working on what you've actually got in the system and making decisions around the current state of play rather than crossing your fingers that, you know, you could do this right now. And as long as you this happens in a couple of weeks, then everything will be fine because it's not always the uh, the best choice to be making. Chad, do you think the way that farming's changed over the past, you know, 15-odd years since that couple of years of drought that we had and the things that we've learned about farming systems since then have made farming, I don't want to say easier, but given people more options available to them in their farming systems? Yes, well, they've become much more experienced, I guess, and confident in the fact that they've been in a dry time like this before and their machinery that they deal with today is such precision machinery they can adjust the seeding depth to be exact if they know that they want to go in and dry so before that rain also the larger machinery that they're dealing with now means they cover more ground a lot quicker so they they can make those choice or decisions at a shorter period going on what the season provides and cover a lot more ground and like I said they the precision seeding has just improved their confidence in itself also dealing with any other constraints whether it be soil constraints they know that they're able to use whatever moisture is in that soil and then whatever rain comes they can use every drop of it provided they've adjusted and made ameliorated those constraints is there anything else you want to add to that, Wayne? Is there anything that you can see that we've learned, you know, in the past 15 years, whether it be from research, from experience, from trials, whatever it might be, that help growers in a season like we've had in 2023? So the farming system has changed considerably. We are dry sowing a lot more and we are sowing a lot earlier. We're making the most of any opportunity that we get In the last three years, we've had rain very early in April and in this season, rain right at the end of March, which in the past, so prior to 06 and 07 and even in the last prior to, you know, 2015 even, we weren't making most of those opportunities because seeding was just too early. It was too early. However, now that we know that we can sow at that time and we can harvest a crop at the end of the year from something that's been sown that early, then growers are doing that. They've got the varieties that allow them to do that. So that early sowing and the dry sowing is certainly one of the biggest changes that we've seen. And alongside that, what allows them to do that is all of the amelioration that has taken place. So the soil constraints of low subsoil pH, high subsoil strength, some of the constraints around repellents are all overcome when we manipulate that soil through a strategic tillage event. And so we've seen a lot of that go hand in hand with our early sowing and our dry sowing because we've got a lot more confidence about the yield potential that we can achieve off that soil because we can now, as Chad said, 
access all the water that falls, make use of all of that plant is able to get hold of it because it isn't being held up. So those are the main changes we've seen in the last 15 years, all really around how we get more water out of that soil. And there's also another change on a different angle, I guess, is just the simple thing of social media like this. It's much stronger now, so growers know what's going on all over the state and what some what other growers are trying out and whether they're benefiting or not benefiting. So they're able to explore their ideas from everywhere. The uh, benefits of ad Twitter can definitely not be downplayed. I want to ask, and this may be a difficult question to answer, but if there was one takeaway that each of you have from 06 and 07 that you would like growers to remember after a drier season like we've had this year or like in any other drier season that we might have in the future, what would that takeaway be? It may sound a little flippant, but it always rains at the end of a drought, whether that's um, actual rain whether that's a change in your thinking and your mood or whatever it happens to be, there is always rain at the end of a drought. So that's perhaps one of the biggest takeaways. So let's not treat a single season in isolation. Let's keep it in a a broader picture. Let's understand that. So 2023 was awful, but it's only a small part in the biggest scheme of things because 22 and 21 were so spectacular that perhaps we we might have forgotten that. Let's not forget that. Let's keep it all in the bigger picture. How about you, Chad? I guess uh, Wayne's covered it pretty well. But like farming businesses these days are stronger and their wealth and equity is quite good now and they're doing the best in terms of their water use efficiency. So, yes, it is a poor year. They're still getting something, but obviously, you know, it probably won't cover costs. But then, yes, they've seen it before, been here before. They're more confident and they know that, yes, in the next season or two or whatever, it will improve again, hopefully touch wood. <laughs> You've both just mentioned, you know, not – throwing the baby out of it with the bathwater and, you know, keeping, I guess, some form of hope for the next season because, as we said, drought doesn't last forever. What can we take from when we recovered from, from 06 and 07 and, you know, looking at what happened in 08, 09? What can we take from that that I guess might help growers when making some decisions ahead of next year and helping their decision-making? The first one will be understanding what nutrition they've left in the paddock from last season because we've sunk a lot of money in nutrition in 23. We won't have seen all of that returned. So there's potential for us to save some of our input costs next year if we understand how much is still in the soil and what we're likely to get out of the soil, then we don't need to spend extra on that fertiliser input. That's perhaps one of the biggest and easiest things to do. Spend a little time and money on understanding your soil so that you know what the nutrients are, where they are, and also hopefully through that you'll also learn a little bit about where your constraints are with the goal in mind that we're going to be reducing our our input cost 
because of, you know, we're all pretty aware of just how expensive fertiliser and herbicides are at the moment. If we can minimise that, excellent. And also just carrying out the soil sampling, like Wayne said, for nutrition value, but they'll also get an idea of what the moisture is within that soil further down the profile. Is there any moisture there that can be used if they can get the crop establishment next year? Thank you both for joining me on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. As always, the Southwest Hub is keen to share more information with you and help support you in preparing for and responding to dry seasons. Uh, so to subscribe to the monthly newsletter, that is the best place to get all of the latest updates with issues and information relating to the Hub or the Future Drought Fund or dry seasons or whatever else it is you can think of. You can subscribe to that newsletter by the website at hub.gga.org.au under Hub News. Thank you for joining me and I will talk to you next time. You've just been listening to the Southwest WA Hub's limited dry season podcast series. For further support for decision making through this dry season, the Drought Hub website features a collection of resources for the livestock, grains and horticultural industries. You can find these resources under the resources tab on the Hub website at hub.org.au. This episode has been brought to you by the Southwest WA Drought Hub, funded by the Future Drought Fund. If you or someone you know is in crisis, contact Lifeline on 13 11 14.